Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. My name is Aaron Barner. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at West Hill. We're really glad and excited that you're here with us. A couple of quick notes. If you want to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, we're going to continue our series uh, and as we start, a couple quick things. Uh, first, I just want to say, uh, for those of you who were here last week, how many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. You guys survived an hour-long sermon. Did you know that? That was unbelievable. I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, for those of you who were awake that whole time, that was really good. It was a test. Um, it is so hard to preach through uh, the Word and, and when we look through a Bible um, passage like that, um, it's hard for me to break it down and then just to try to get little pieces. And so I fell back into, after being gone for a couple of weeks of vacation, of wanting to just, I had all that bottled up and I just had to give it to you. So uh, that's out of my system, hopefully. So maybe, just maybe it'll be a little shorter this morning, okay? Uh, I'm not promising, so... It's okay, Dimitri said. Dimitri and I were talking a little bit, and I said, I don't know if it was my first week um, back, you know, after being out of the uh, out on vacation for a while. I don't know if it was maybe my ear because I had ruptured my eardrum and I couldn't hear things very well, um, which that's doing a lot better. Thank you for your prayers. Um, I don't know what it was, but it was like I felt like I was kind of like an, on an island by myself, and I was preaching, but there wasn't a whole lot of response. And, and so I just want to give you permission. I don't, I don't know that I've ever said this publicly. I think I have, but you are allowed to respond back when appropriately, of course. All right. <laughs> That's the one caveat. Uh, you are allowed to respond back as you hear the preaching of God's word and the teaching of God's word. It is good and wholesome and right to respond to it. And you can do that. Look at that. Already. We're good. Um, so I, I, I'm excited to dig in God's word this morning uh, in Romans chapter 8. A couple of quick uh, just updates of some of our people. Uh, first, I just want to let you know Thelma Bean. Uh, she's one of our two last charter members. Uh, she has been over at St. Edwards for a number of years now. Uh, but, but Thelma's not doing well. And so her health is uh, declining very quickly, and she'll soon go home to be with the Lord. But if you would just pray for Thelma, that God will give her peace, and uh, to pray for her family as they walk through these last days. Um, in the, on the heels of that, God is amazing, right? We got word this morning that Nathan and Kathleen Zion are at the hospital, and Kathleen's uh, anxiously awaiting the arrival of their little girl. And so uh, you can be praying for the Zions as they, uh, as they eagerly anticipate uh, this little one as she will be coming. And, uh, and so we see both death and life. And so we're excited about both of those and what they mean. Not that Thelma is uh, going to die. She's going to go home to be with the Lord. She'll experience life better than what we even experienced life. And yet the Zions will have that joy of this new little girl and the, and the birth of that life and the enjoyment of that. I also, I know Pastor David mentioned it, but I want to mention it again so that you don't forget and so that you can make plans. Next Sunday, please join us for lunch. Please plan to join us. 
Um, it's, uh, our ladies work really hard, and there's nothing really fancy about lunch. It's just about that time of fellowship, that time together uh, that we want to just spend enjoying one another. And there's something that happens when we break bread together. It's in the Bible, and, and some of those passages uh, may mean communion, um, but I think some of those passages are really just eating a meal together. And so I want to encourage you to come and join us next Sunday uh, after the revived service. And if I don't preach an hour, then you won't be as hungry. If I preach an hour, you'll be ready for dinner, uh, ready for lunch. And so I hope that you'll come enjoy that fellowship and that growing together, continuing to get to know one another uh, in a better way. Romans chapter 8. Um, I, when I first was looking at this, there was part of me that just because of last week, uh, on Monday, I'm like, maybe I should just preach on Romans chapter eight, verse one. <laughs> like maybe I just get through one verse and I can speak for 20, good 20, 25 minutes on that one verse. And I thought, no, I can't do that. And so Romans chapter eight, because part of it is I don't want to take, uh, three years to walk through the book of Romans. Not that it's bad, but I've just found uh, over the course of time that that you as a church, it's really hard to stay uh, dug in when we go that long through a book. And so trying to balance going through a book, not just plowing through it, but really uh, taking it. So we're going to walk through the first 17 verses this morning, and then uh, we'll look at the second half of chapter 8 next week. So if you have your Bibles and you have them open or your electronic device, if you would stand with me as is our practice and I will read them and you please follow along as we read. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is a refreshment to our soul. And Lord, we thank you that we can gather in this place and open up your word. And I pray that we would allow your spirit to lead us and to illuminate our hearts in every part of our heart, Lord, this morning. We, may we not hide back or, or shrink back or, or refrain from allowing you access to our total and complete um, persons of who we are. Lord, we are body, soul, and spirit. And Lord, we need you to illuminate uh, us because we, we have a tendency to hide in shame and in fear. Lord, those things that we know to be wrong, those things we know to be sin. And yet, Lord, may we allow you access so that we may um, see them as they are, the truth. And Lord, that we would commit them to you and turn from them if it's sin. Lord, if it's fear, that we would hand it over to you. And Lord, we would be repentant in our hearts and in our minds. And we would walk freely uh, with your spirit as you guide us and lead us. And so do your work in us today. May you be glorified as we walk through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the title of our message this morning. And uh, when you look at um, this first verse, it's quite the transition from where we were last week. So last week, not only if you were here, not only did you sit through an hour sermon, but you also sat through a sermon that, that is not so conducive into our world today. And that's because we talked about sin. <laughs> and nobody wants to talk about sin today. Nobody wants to have a message preached to them about sin. And a lot of that is, is because uh, we live in a culture that doesn't want somebody else telling us what we should or shouldn't do. We also don't want to feel conviction in that sense where we're not in control. We don't, we live in such a way today that when somebody preaches something that, that steps on our toes or that's edgy in that way, we often respond um, in not a receiving gracious way. Think about that. I, I'm guilty of that at times too. When somebody comes to correct me, right, which I need correction all the time, ask Lisa. And in that, uh, there are times that she'll come and approach me in a very gracious and humble way, but I still am not open and receptive to it. And then there's other times where if I would just humble myself, where she comes in, in, in that spirit of, of desiring to honor God, she, she corrects me. Um, and when I receive that, it's, it's like life-giving, right? And, and I've learned through the years, if I would just be quiet and let my pride go, it would be a lot better, right? Those of you wives shaking your heads, yes. 
And it's not just the wives and the husbands. It's all of us, right? God's word is truth. I'm going to hammer this home this morning because I'm, I'm wrestling as we walk through our environment today um, as a culture. We, we say very quickly with our lips, this is truth. And we'll even admit that in, in a congregation when I say, hey, do you believe this is truth? And you'll say, amen. We'll be quick to acknowledge that. But when it comes to living it, to say, I'm going to choose this, how many times in, in our day and in our culture right now do we actually do that? And then when we don't do it and we're called on the carpet, we put our arms length away and we get mad at those who do call us on the carpet and call it sin. I'm not here to preach another uh, hard, bad sermon today. Not that last week was bad. Actually, I think it's very good for us. And not only did you get that, but two weeks before that, you got a sermon on hell too. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> and so we want to we teach and we want to preach the full counsel of God's word because we want to understand who our God is and, and rightly define what this word of God is and how we're to live it. The beauty of where we fall today in Romans chapter 8 is we've just walked through Romans chapter 7. And Paul, as he finishes chapter 7, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. It's like, what can save me from this condition? This sinful condition, this, this battling of this, uh, what my mind and what I know to be truth, and yet my body, my flesh, I struggle against it, and I, I do what I don't want to do. And he said, who's going to deliver me? And he states it, and he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then on the heels of, of verse 25 there, and when he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Therefore, again, we have chapter eight, verse one. So we have this kind of dividing line, but take that dividing line out for a minute. And you look at verse one here, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you don't get anything else this morning, what truth this is. What a blessing this is. This term condemnation is a very legal term. And it means not only this, the, the proclamation uh, of, the, of the, uh, the terms, but it's also the execution of this. So it's not just saying, here's, here's your penalty, uh, but it's also the execution of that penalty. And, and what Paul is writing here is, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if we were really Pentecostal, we would be jumping up and down and putting our, eye, our hands in the air. And we would shout for joy because of what that means. 
that we have a holy and righteous and just and perfect God that would look down upon you and me, even though we wrestle with this sin and even though we, we say, oh, wretched man, who is able to deliver me? How can I ever walk this life that God desires? And, and, and Paul's like, listen, just a reminder of what has taken place. You're not under condemnation. God isn't there with a whip waiting for you when you mess up to say, boom, see, I told you you weren't good enough. I'm going to get you back into shape. And yet that's the view of a lot of people of, of how God works. If you do something wrong, he's going to strike you with lightning. Well, I would have been stricken quite a bit. Amen to me or amen to you, Mary Kay. Remember that appropriate response. No. <laughs> you keep saying amen, Mary Kay. When we're all honest, we're all sinners saved by God's grace. Amen. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the truth is, when we look at that, there is a penalty for sin. Because we don't experience that condemnation, there is a penalty for sin. And again, let me remind you, I'm not coming up with this stuff on my own. That's what the Bible tells me. And again, let me go back to where I was before, and I don't think I finished my train of thought, and I apologize. In our culture and where we live today, we're raising our children to read the Bible, which is good to study it, to even memorize it. But do we help them understand what it means to incorporate it in their life? Like, do you young people, do you understand and know that this is the truth for every area of your life? And what sinks in for them is not only when we tell them that, but when our young people see us, middle-aged, me, and older seasoned, some of you are more seasoned than others, see you living that out. Because we can say it all we want, but we need a culture in our churches that says, I'm not going to just say this is the truth, but I'm going to live it imperfectly, yes, but striving to live this truth. It's not brainwashing our children. The culture says, oh, you're just brainwashing them. No, we're teaching them what the truth is. And to teach them in such a way that, that says, even if you were the only one who would live in that truth, would you be faithful to it? And the question is, for each of us, do you believe once and for all, this is God's word to us, the living truth, and that with it, I am called to walk in it and to know it and to live it out every day, even if no one else would do it. Are you that committed? Because the beauty is, while there is a penalty for sin, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And even though we struggle and we fall short often, we have a God who loves us who continues to lead us and to guide us. And that's what this passage is all about. The New Living Translation says, so now, 
after what has been said. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. In the Greek, it reads this way. Therefore, no now condemnation, the penalty, those in Christ Jesus. It leaves a few words out that we parse together. But ultimately, again, it's this idea that we... What Paul has been building in his, in his letter to the Romans, that we are ultimately saved by God's grace. So being saved by God's grace, Paul will build upon that. And he's ultimately saying, you are sanctified by God's grace. Some of you, and, and I was often raised, and I don't criticize uh, in a bad way those who taught me, but I, I was led to believe that we were saved by God's grace, but I was sanctified by the law. And that's not the teaching of the word. You aren't sanctified by a list of rules and regulations. You can put a law on, on whether or not you should dress appropriately or whether you should smoke or drink or not do any of that and hang with those who do. It isn't about that. And you say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. I know. Listen to the full counsel here this morning. You are saved by God's grace. Do you agree with that? And do you also believe then that you are also sanctified by God's grace? Sanctification is that process of us becoming more like our Savior, that God is working in you and me to become more like him. That isn't because we have anything to offer. And that's what this passage we're going to see here in a moment. We, we can't do it. Why? Because we're still in the flesh. And we wrestle with the flesh and with the blood. We, we wrestle with this. And we will continue until one day we are no longer in the flesh. Which we're going to get to next week. And the beauty of that and what's coming. But right now... We wrestle with that, and, and yet, if we're saved by God's grace, praise God. But if we think that we're saved by our own merits, my question is, how good do you have to be? And we always compare ourselves to the really bad people. You're going to compare yourself to Jeffrey Dahmer. You're not going to compare yourself to Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. If we're also sanctified by God's grace, we praise God. But if we are sanctified by our works, how come we often take one step forward and then two steps back? So are you able, and we're going to walk through this passage, are you able to walk and to live the Christian life? The answer is, and I'm tricking you in a, in a way, the answer is no. Paul says it here. You aren't able to live it because why? We're in the flesh. But we are able to live it each day because of what God has given us. All right? So let's walk through this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We talked about verse 1. It says, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul's going to go through here. We've already seen some of what Christ has done for, the, for those who will trust in him. That we die with him. We're resurrected with him. We've been given life. Now he's going to walk through the Spirit. All right? For those who believe that there isn't a triune God... 
uh, you're going to have to throw out one of the best passages in all the Bible, and that's Romans chapter 8. Because Paul is really reiterating and helping us to see uh, the emphasis of the Spirit's role in our lives. Uh, The Spirit of God is God. Amen? He is part of the triune God. There's the Father, the Son, and what we grew up calling it the Holy Ghost, which I guess that terminology got a little scary, and so we call it the Holy Spirit now, all right? Which is probably better a better term, all right? As we look at this, though, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free because you were in this bondage. Now you've been set free because of the Spirit, all right? We know from other letters in the New Testament that when we accept Christ, it's because the Spirit of God has revealed the truth of who Christ Jesus is to us and our need to accept him. So we've been set free from this bondage of, of, of death. So we've been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, which we talked about last week. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now let me pause there. The law is not weak. The law in and of itself is good and righteous. We looked at it last week. The law is weakened because of what? Because of our flesh, all right? Because when there is a law, thou shalt not covet, as Paul talked about last week, it causes us in our flesh a deep desire to covet, all right? And so the law, what was weakened by the flesh, could not do what? It couldn't give us life. By sending his own son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. What an amazing statement. For all those who believe, how could God be a loving and gracious God if he would allow these things to happen? And you can name numerous things. Those people probably haven't read Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Because look at the God of the universe, the true description of who God is, what did he do? He sent his own son in the likeness of you and me, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin's atonement. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ Jesus did something that allows us to live each day. We live each day because of what Christ did. Christ, God, the Son, came to the earth. He died on the cross. All right, He was buried and he rose again three days later. He died not because he did anything wrong. He died a righteous and perfect man. He was the God-man who suffered and died because he bore our sin. On himself. For it is his stripes that we are healed. He did that because we, in our weakness, we could not do that. But he came to us. Thus fulfilling in us the righteous requirement of what the law was. Perfection. We won't be perfect. We can't fulfill that requirement. But Christ did that. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is what? It's death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life. And he didn't just say life, but also peace, which is an interesting concept when we think about living life each day. I think we could all say there are certain times throughout each and every day that we could take a little bit more peace, right? I would love to have a little bit more peace with this situation or this scenario. The spirit of the living God provides that for us. So not only are we safe from death to life, but we're safe from anguish and worry and concern. And we've been given peace by the spirit. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So let me pause for a moment here. Do, you, do, do we understand why our culture and why our world is the way it is? Sometimes we forget that there are lost and unsaved people who are living in our world. They can't think and live righteousness as a whole until they come to know Jesus Christ and set their mind on the spirit. Sometimes we want unsaved people living as saved people. And that's not wrong for us to want morality to be at a level where we care and love for one another. What I'm saying is oftentimes we throw stones at the world, criticizing them, and yet it's our responsibility to live differently. There is no way that the mind that is set on the flesh can live out truth. I didn't say it. God did. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God. This is truth. Do you believe this? This goes along with what Paul preached a few weeks ago. There is a real place called hell. And people are on a destination to that place. And some of them don't even know it. God has placed us here not to set our mind on the flesh, but to set our mind on the spirit. Because why? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we've watered down the truth so much that we don't want to hurt people's feelings we don't want to tell them that they're destined for hell, even though they truly are. And that doesn't mean that we're better than them. We don't walk around with an arrogance, nor should we walk around with an arrogance, with this big head that says, oh, look at us. We're so great, us Christians. That wasn't Paul's whole mindset. That wasn't his heart. His heart was compassionate for those who were lost. That they would hear the gospel message and that they would receive it. And there are many who did not, even though we have record of many who did. Paul preached to thousands and not all of them accepted the gospel message. 
We think because somebody gets upset because we shared a little bit about Jesus that we shouldn't do it anymore. The truth is, the word of God has told us what's offensive. It's not us, it's the gospel. What's offensive is Christ. To think that all I have to do is place my, my faith and trust in this man who died for me and to give him my life and to trust him. That's a stumbling block, it says, to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. To think that it's that easy. And that's not to cheapen the gospel message because we know that the gospel message is so much more. But we need to be reminded the world is not going to live a Christian and godly life. And so stop desiring that. Stop wanting that. Instead, look at your life and let's look at us as a church and let's say, listen, we know that the flesh cannot please God, those who are of the flesh. But we're not of the flesh. We're of the spirit and we want to please God. We want to live in such a way that shows the beauty of what he says in chapter 8 verse 1. That we're not living under condemnation. But they are. And it's not throwing the finger in their chest and pushing hard. It's coming along, putting our arm on their shoulder and saying, listen, I love you. And I want you to understand what God has told us. God, the creator who puts you here, who placed you here, who desires to have a relationship with you. I have this relationship and I want that for you. That's the gospel call. That's the reminder. Well, how do we do that? And let me just say, this is one of the most perplexing parts of this message for me. Because you tell me what we're to do as I read through these next few verses. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, well, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe that he, Christ died on the cross for your sin, and he was buried and rose again three days later, you believe that he suffered and died for you, that there is no other way to God but believing by faith that Jesus did that for you, you are saved. And he says, the fact of the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life became of righteousness. Or the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ that is on our account. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is an amazing concept. Not only do we have no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but we have this glorious, wonderful gift, and that is the fact that God dwells in us. Think about that for a minute. As you walk each and every day, has, has it ever occurred to you that the living God is dwelling in you and, and showing himself through you? Every day, you're walking, not just symbol of God, but the living God is living in you to walk. A lot of times, we're just doing our own thing. 
And that's this whole concept that Paul is trying to help them. As, as we understand what it means while we're living in the flesh, we're not to live and to give into these desires. No, we've died with Christ, Romans chapter 5. We've died with him, but yet we're alive. And we're alive with him. And in living with him, God no longer condemns us. We've been given life. And we begin living, given life because the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the very one who lives and dwells in you and me. God dwells in you. That should give you some peace. God dwelling in us. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Of course we're debtors, right? Not only was I saved from eternity in hell, not only could I not please God because I was in the flesh, but I've been given life. I've been saved from eternity in hell. And not just that, but I have the spirit of the living God who rose Christ from the dead. He lives in me. It's like, not only did I get a nice meal, but I got dessert too. Here we are. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We don't get to live however we want. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We know that sin is sweet, but just for a season. And the book of Proverbs tells us it leads to destruction and to death. If you live according to the flesh, it's not going to give you life. This isn't about eternal life. Yes, it is that when we accept Christ Jesus our Lord. But this is about life now. We live life now. We, if, we, if we live according to the flesh, we're going to die. And I believe even as we see in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is writing to a church that is pretty carnal, struggling with what does it mean to follow him and to trust him. What does it mean to live for him? Some of them, Paul says, have fallen asleep. Some are sick and some have fallen asleep. Some have died. Why? Because they failed to walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. They have failed to live the way God desires for them to live. And the truth is we need to know that. You don't get a license to do whatever you want to do. We've already saw that. Paul's already covered that. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And he's reminding them, we don't get to live according to the flesh. Why? We don't live according to the flesh because we know that it produces death. But if by the Spirit, the rest of verse 13, but if by the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, let me just say here, in a voice of equity, this does, should not say sons and daughters. And that does not mean that you women are not important. When Paul is writing this as sons, he is saying you are part of this entitlement. And as sons during this culture, all right, sons, you were, you, you were everybody wanted to have a son. For a couple reasons. Number one, you carried on the name. All right. Number two, because that son was in charge of that household from that moment on when the father passed. There was a responsibility. And as Paul is going to continue to, 
to build upon this. Men, women, and children are included in this. But Paul, as he's writing sons, he is helping us to understand this critical blessing. What it means that we are sons of God. That you and I get the same privilege of what it means to be God's child as his son. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He's just reminding us where we were. So you don't have to go back to that. Stop. Galatians, he writes, and he's like, why are you abandoning what I've taught you? And you can kind of get that feeling here. Listen, for you did not receive that spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, but you've received the spirit as adoptions, as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Understand that the Jew, the Jew didn't, didn't cry out, uh, Father, or, or, or dear Heavenly Father. They weren't praying that. We were, they weren't praying, Abba. The Jew at this time would call God Jehovah. It would say, Jehovah God, Lord Almighty. Paul's helping them to see here. Listen, you've been adopted as sons. The beauty of this work of the Spirit of God, he's brought you in to live life. And in doing so, you are more than just people living for him. You are more than even just a nation of Israel that God has made distinct and set apart. Paul's writing to the believer here and saying, listen, you've been called into as adopted sons where you can cry out to God, the father, and you can call him daddy. You can call him father. He's not this far distant person that has just put you here and let you do whatever you want or or has these large commands and says, go and do them. And you never get to have communion with him. No, it's this beautiful picture of a relationship that we've been granted. That we've been adopted in. And again, during this culture, if you do some research, you see an adopted son actually has more privilege than one that is born in your family. Because while you may uh, distance yourself from your own son, all right, who may rebel or do something poorly against you. As an adopted son, you were charged. You could never abandon them. You could never push them off. And here we are as adopted sons of God, and we get to call him Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There are times that you may wrestle in your faith. You may wrestle and even question, am I truly a believer? The beauty as we walk through that, if you will stop and listen to the Spirit, the Spirit will teach us and tell our spirit, listen, I want you to know you are his child. And here's the reason why. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what he's done for us. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs, something coming. Heirs of God and fellow heirs, or there's a term here, joint heirs with Christ. Think about this for a minute. 
We are joint heirs. What's that mean? Let's say that I die, okay? Which I'm going to one day. And I have three children, Lene, Marissa, and Zach. When I die one day, I'm, and I leave them as heirs uh, to my property and all my stuff, and I say, okay, here, this is, this is yours, all right? It, then it's divided into three ways. But if they're joint heirs, all right, joint heirs mean that they own all of it together. There isn't a dividing out where it's a third, a third, and a third. No, they own it all. So Lene could say, well, I own the house. And Zach say, yeah, I own the house, but I own the truck too. And Marissa says, yes, I own the house and I own the truck and I own his tennis shoes. We are joint heirs with who? With our Savior. The one who suffered and died upon the cross, you and I, if you're a child of God, we are not only heirs, we are joint heirs with Christ. I want you to think about that and ponder, what does that mean as we walk and look at the future? That's why Romans chapter 8 is such an amazing gold mine. And so much of what we see and so much of what we have, there's so much beauty there. And I've got to land the plane here. As you look at this, and I challenged you earlier, what is there for us to do? Chuck Swindoll says in his comment, commentary on this in Romans chapter 8, he says he struggles because there isn't a command to do anything. And for me... Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Or at least I'll try, all right? I, I want to be told, how can I improve this? Okay, this is how I can improve. The truth is, that's not what Paul's saying here. In fact, Paul's emphasis, and it will continue to be an emphasis, is will you start, because here's the starting point, and then he'll build upon what we can do. But there's a starting point that we each must start at. Because if we don't start there, then we can quickly turn the law into something that it shouldn't be. Where we start to become legalistic about doing things. And we know those people who have done those things, who have, are, are living a legalistic life. But we also know those who, who, who are on the other spectrum who believe that there's all kinds of freedom. And you can do whatever you want. Because what's truth for you is truth for you. And... Yeah, that's not what Paul is writing. That's not what God's word tells us. And the starting point is this. And ultimately, it comes back to this. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God as sons are sons of God. It's this. Are you going to allow God to lead you? Or are you going to do the things for God. This is something we really wrestle with. And we should wrestle with it. It's something hard. There's tension here. Am I going to allow the spirit of God to lead me? Allowing means I'm going to submit myself under the spirit's guiding. The spirit who dwells inside of me. I'm going to allow him to lead. I'm going to follow him. 
I'm going to obey him. And in return, as I'm doing that, he's producing fruit in me. And I gain this, this fearless intimacy with God where I can cry out and say, Abba, Father, as I continue to allow the Spirit of God to, to lead me and as I follow him and walk with him, he continues to build in me this relational assurance that I'm his. And so I ask this question that leads, what will God do on my behalf? What can God do through me? But when we look at doing, and I'm so guilty of this, doing leads to a never satisfied spirit because we fall short. We're left empty. It produces fear. We look at God as a dictator master. In, in some ways, it's a self-made holiness. We look at what we've produced and what we've done, and we say, look at what I've done. I deserve. It's saying this question, what, look at what I do for God. And ultimately, I think it should be this. We have to stop striving to be spiritual. You say, whoa, pastor, what in the world are you saying? Remember, I think this is the starting point of our walk with Jesus. Stop trying to be spiritual because in the flesh, you can't do it. Why have so many young people as they've grown older, walked away from the faith. I believe it's some of this principle right here. Because we told them they needed to be spiritual. Stop trying to be spiritual. Because in the flesh, you can't. But if we allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And we walk with Him. The Spirit of God is spiritual. And when we allow him to lead and we follow him, we then produce spiritual fruit. We cannot get the cart before the horse here, though. And so what I'm calling you to do today is to surrender control of your life. Say, I have. <laughs> Let me follow you around for just a few hours. And I'll start to pick out a few things because I'm really good at now seeing it in my own life after this week. Man, I'm so guilty of trying to control life. God wants us to be faithful. Faithful in what? I've always been taught to do good things. That's not bad, but that's not where we start. We start with what Paul has emphasized here, faithful and allowing the spirit to lead me. Are you going to be faithful in doing that today, this week, in the days, in the years ahead? I promise you that God will do great and wonderful and mighty things through you. I don't know what they look like, but I promise you he will accomplish it if you surrender and if you're willing to allow him 
to dictate your life. Allow him to lead you and to guide you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for your word. Thanks for this time in it. Thank you for just the plentiful bounty that we see even in these 17 verses of Romans 8. Lord, your word has showed us that when we're spirit-led, we have truth, we have life, we have peace, we have righteousness, we have relationship with you as sons, Lord, and we have an inheritance. That's what it means to be led by your spirit. And yet, Lord, so often we will seek we seek that, we desire to live that, but we oftentimes let our flesh take hold of us. And we follow the flesh instead of following your spirit. We follow our own desires, our own wants. And sometimes we'll even name them in the name of Christ because we're so selfish and because our hearts are wicked and deceitful. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to lead us. We need your spirit to guide us. And the truth is, anything that we are that's spiritual is because of your spirit that indwells in us. Because apart from your spirit, we cannot be spiritual. We cannot produce fruit that is worthy of life. And so, Lord, as we think and as we apply that, this to our own lives, may we ask ourselves, am I being faithful to allow your spirit to lead me? Am I being faithful today? Am I being faithful in this moment to allow your spirit to guide me, to show me? that I would follow the Spirit and to enjoy all that you desire for me. I enjoy all of that because there's no condemnation. Because we're in Christ Jesus. For that, Lord, we shout and we give great joy. May we live in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, not ours, but the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Prick our hearts, move in our minds, help our hands and feet, Lord, to be obedient and allowing you to lead us. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.